Welcome to That'll Preach, a weekly show on the Forks Midtown Podcast. I'm Brian, joined with Paul. We are your late night FM radio talk show hosts. They're cool, jazzy voices. Making it to FM. Making it to FM. Means we've made it. You know, we were talking about the difference between AM and FM. <laughs> it means that FM is at nighttime and AM is in the morning. Exactly, time. <laughs> because AM is night, or AM is morning, and FM <laughs> is... I can't think of I can't think of anything <laughs> clever. <laughs> oh man! Well, we are coming to you live. Which Paul the philosopher was mentioning that uh, we do everything live. Technically, technically, everything we do is living. Yeah, and it's one of those philosopher jokes that only philosophers get. It wasn't meant to be a joke. It was oh. meant to be profound, and then I realized mm. it was just trivial. You know what they say? Try to be profound, and you you'll get, be found. And you, you get put down. Whoa, that's yeah. dark. <laughs> well, you know, that's how it goes in these streets. Anyway, so it's uh, it's it's what past? It's almost midnight. Almost midnight. But uh, you, it, it could be any time of day for you out there. So maybe you're listening to this and it's eight a.m. Maybe it's one p.m. And knows? maybe it's midnight. This is timeless. Maybe it's midnight. But this is timeless. timeless. <laughs> and um, for the best listening experience, listen to this at midnight. Yeah, so you can feel you, what we feel as we're. Exactly. Now, Paul is his best when he's the most delirious. So who knows what will come out of his mouth? Hopefully more profound things. Probably that not. That end up just being trivial. Probably not. But we do start out with a hot take. So I want to start off with a little unpopular opinion here. Do it. I think that most diets today are marketed ways of getting people to eat less calories. So here's what I mean. It, Back, you know, back in the 90s, early mm -hmm. 2000s, it was just like, you want to lose 15 pounds, do this thing. Atkins diet, yeah. South Beach diet, yeah. whatever. It's lose fat, lose weight, look better. Right. At least they were honest. Now uh -huh. it's couched in like, well, you can be organic, non-GMO, gluten-free, all this stuff, right? And really, I think a lot of the benefit people get from diets is they just stopped eating five guys. They stopped eating fries. They stopped eating. So the difference is in packaging or right. it's marketing it's a marketing ploy so we don't tell people anymore like hey here's how to lose the 15 yeah, pounds fat. of stubborn belly you gotta fat. lose that right no you don't do that anymore you gotta say that's, like, that's gonna be if like if you had a diet be like you're fat yeah, you gotta yeah, lose that you fat you gotta lose that there you go there you go but uh you know but i i think now it's couched in more, you know, although what sugar, right? Sugar's sugar is horrible for you. If you ate like <laughs> 1500 calories a day of Jolly Ranchers. That would be that, disgusting. That would be horrible. Think about that. Think about how we were brought up in third grade. Jolly yeah, Ranchers all you were like kids. crack, right? Yeah, it's sugar cube. A block crack that you would give children. Sugar with it's a, green that's what food it is. coloring. It's a block of flavored sugar. Yeah, it was delicious. And it was like, you know, you did something good. You got a little star on the board and then you got a little Jolly Rancher. And that's Rancher. how we got trained to be sugar slaves. <laughs> so think about that. That's like if aliens watched us, they'd be like, oh, that's how they control their populace. Yeah. They reward them with these blocks of this uh We're just Pavlovian compound. conditioned. Exactly. Exactly. But Gushers. Gushers. Eating by the foot. Right. Yeah. You bite into a thing of sugar to squirt more sugar into your mouth. Ah, delicious. I know. Do they make Gushers anymore, do you think? Probably not. That stuff's no, they, no. They definitely make them. Really, fruit yeah. by the foot and gushers? I, don't, gushers. I don't think I've ever seen I, I don't them know. in I, grocery I, stores. I feel like I ate a fruit by the foot recently. Wow, within the last year, and I was like, I thought they still make these. All the parents I know are giving their kids like only healthy snacks and stuff. What is a healthy fruit by the foot? Like a like a no. There's ones that are actually made of fruit. Oh gosh, like they're they're weird. fruit paste things. I don't know. We had a bunch of we had Dunkaroos. What? Remember yeah, Dunkaroos? Can you imagine that? Like <laughs> like now, kids are so deprived. Their fruit by the foots. 
like or the, or the it's a banana or whatever. It's, yeah yeah it's like a banana it's like a carrot just like yeah like this thin thing oh uh, it's disgusting kale all right you know what though i like kale. i mean i like vegetables wow you know? so i wouldn't and be jolly ranchers yeah, yeah and kale flavored Man, jolly you know ranchers the, you know what's the real deal though don't say it. Those like apples, apple sauce pouches, or the ones that pouches. little kids eat. And that, adults. That, that should have been your hot take. <laughs> that, yeah, I know. <laughs> those yeah. little apple those sauce are packets good, are delicious. If they're if they're like you can't eat those and look like an 10, adult. I'll get ten and just. Oh my goodness! Man. I've never seen you eat those. Yeah, and you never will. But I do. <laughs> they're delicious. I sometimes can't I look that. at sometimes toddlers are eating, and I'm like, man, I want some. I want, I want that pouch. I'm just thinking about taking it from this little kid. And then you give him a Jolly Rancher instead. Yeah. Oh, well, now we're getting creepy. <laughs> anyway, hopefully that did not alienate you. I feel like every show we're worried about losing viewers, <laughs> and we just keep getting more viewers. So you just give a hot take, and then people are super attracted to your. People just listen to us for the hot take. And, and then, then they, they just tune yeah. out when we get to the velocity. <laughs> but don't tune out because this is a really, I mean, if, you, if, you, if you've been living under a rock and somehow have missed our podcast, we have been going through <laughs> Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And it's just been a great time, right? I mean, mm-hmm. like, this stuff is deep. And, um, and again, I read it when I was a, a new Christian mm-hmm. and reading it again so many years later, I'm like, I, I barely skimmed the surface the first time I read it. Oh, yeah. And now I'm reading, I'm like, you know, highlighting extra portions and just, it's just so dense and deep. You can and highlight like every single line. You could. It's so good. Exactly. But what's, uh, what's great about this chapter, we're just looking to look at one chapter. Section seven of book four. It's like seven pages. It, yeah, it's like seven pages, <laughs> but it's called Let's Pretend. And it is, it's really practical. Might be one of his best chapters. Yeah, it might be one of his best p- chapters. He gets practical and uh, and, and uses great analogies. Mm-hmm. And what, what would you say is the theme of this chapter? Like if you could summarize where we're going with this, what would you say? There's a famous TED talk called uh, Fake It Till You Become It. And Lewis is giving that same argument, but in the 1940s slash 60s. And so the idea is sometimes you have to pretend you are something until you grow into that thing. And the Christian life is a little bit of that. You put on this Christian, not facade, but you adopt the Christian worldview and the Christian aesthetic. And in the process of putting it on, it has a practical effect and it changes you. So Lewis starts off by talking about the Our Father, and he says just that utterance there of, of beginning the Lord's Prayer with Our Father means that we are calling ourselves sons of God. And he says that we're not sons of God, we're not the Son of God, but just assuming that posture does something to us and makes us think like, okay, well, I'm not, I'm not Jesus. My character is so far from Jesus. But it be, begins to put you in that headspace of thinking like, I... I'm not this yet, but just thinking about who I'm, I'm supposed to grow into points out my flaws and gives me this inspiration, motivation, and um, it sort of enables me to grow into what I'm supposed to be. So, so yeah, pretending with the practical effect of becoming that which we're pretending to be. Well, he uses this phrase, uh, to put it bluntly, and he's talking about when you call God your father, mm-hmm. he says, you are dressing up as Christ. Right. And I like that language um, because he starts off the chapter with with two analogies. One is Beauty and the Beast, where right. he says, mm-hmm. in Beauty and the Beast, 
there's this woman who uh, kisses a monster as if it were a man. Right. And that monster at the end becomes a man. Mm -hmm. Spoiler alert. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, another one is uh, a man wears a mask, which makes him look much nicer than he really is, Mm -hmm. much more handsome. Then he takes off the mask and he finds that the mask has actually molded his face into a handsome face. Yeah. And those two analogies show something where uh, someone is something that they're not. Something's put onto them that's something that they're not. And they're molded into that image. And uh, he ties that into to, to what it means to be a Christian mm-hmm. in an interesting way. But what's fascinating is, I mean, when we call God our father, we really are his children. Yeah. It's by grace, mm-hmm. not by nature. Uh, so dressing up as Christ, we're not... We're not pretending to be God's children. We are. Right. Right. So we're, yeah, it's not a fake thing. God has adopted us into his family, Mm -hmm. but what we're, maybe we could put it this way. When we think about the Protestant doctrine of justification by faith alone, it's meaning that, that God saves us and there's nothing that we contribute to it. Mm -hmm. There's no works that we contribute to it. Yeah. Right. That God bestows upon us a righteous status apart from our works. In other words, God calls us sons and daughters, even though we have nothing in us that would merit that. Right. Even though we aren't truly his sons or daughters, he gives us this status as a free gift. So God calls us something before we are that thing. Mm-hmm. But in in viewing ourselves, and I think about Romans 6, right? Consider yourselves dead to sin. When we view ourselves the way that God has called us, that act in and of itself changes us. Right. Yeah. So when you mm-hmm. look up and you go, God, you're my father. That doesn't make him your father, but that action of calling him your father is molding you into. Yeah, it in, calibrates in, yeah, the way you think. About right. It. Or, yeah, or yeah. maybe the, the easiest phrase is that God is changing you to be who he calls you. You are. Yeah, yeah. He calls you a son and then he transforms you into what he has called you. And he uses that that process, even of just labeling as a kind of practical change. And, and Lewis makes a distinction between, so there's, there's a bad way to pretend, and then there's a good way to pretend. And he right. says, the goal is not, we're not trying to, to put on facades or be hypocritical or show the world that we're the kinds of people that we're not, right? The kind of pretending that Lewis is advocating for is one where you you realize you want to be this kind of person. You want to be generous, humble, uh, prayerful person. And you realize I'm not that now, but I want to adopt the practices and the behaviors and the posture and the lifestyle of someone who is that. And that's how you grow into it, right? If I, if I want to become a weightlifter, what do I do? I practically begin to assume that identity and change certain things about that. So when I view myself as a, as you know, I want to be this weightlifter, I do engage in a kind of pretend, right? I start doing things that weightlifters do. I'm not a weightlifter yet, but I eventually grow into that. Right. And that's the kind of good pretending there. That's the kind of good practical uh, character forming pretense that Lewis is advocating. Well, he uses another analogy about uh, children playing soldiers. Uh-huh. And he says that, uh, he says, this is why children's games are so important. They are always pretending to be grownups, playing soldiers, playing shop. But all the time they're hardening their muscles and sharpening their wits so that the pretense of being grown up helps them to grow up in earnest. Hmm. Well, that's so true. Yeah. Even just playing sports when you're little or, you know, playing pretend and you're, you're, you're not, you're, you're play acting virtue and courage sure. and strength. Or parenting. And parenting, when right. Girls you play pick house. up the little dolls, yeah. they try right. to be a mother. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. 
And they're <clears> important <throat> because, yeah, they're not actually being grownups, but they're developing those muscles. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, it's training wheels. Yeah. yeah. Right. And eventually, when they come of age, those things will be real. Yeah. So even in kids, they're always acting beyond their age, and that's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It's actually part of them learning how to grow up. Absolutely. And try out what it means to be an adult. And this is where you you really see, and I've, I've said this before, Lewis's grasp of human nature is just so profound. So he says, and this is this is a beautiful quote, very often the only way to get a quality in reality is to start behaving as if you had it already. And that principle is almost universally true for human nature. To make something reality in your life, you often have to take that step of faith. And, and ultimately, I think this pretense is a kind of faith there. So, and we've talked about this before, the person who wants to become a Christian but doesn't feel anything, right? Just, right. I don't I don't feel like I believe. What do you do? Well, go to church, hang around Christians. Right. Like right. Start, start participating in the life of the church and see what happens there. Um, this we talked about this with uh, marriage therapists who who advise married couples when the love seems lackluster, when people seem to be drifting apart. How do you reignite? How do you make real the things that aren't real? You practice and you, and you you go on a limb and you pretend as if it's there, and you begin acting as if you had the feelings or the affections even if they're not there, and then they become reality. So this does seem to be like a universal principle of human nature. And Lewis has really, really, he's just articulated it super well. Well, how, what would you say to somebody who's like, that just sounds like, I guess faking to you making work for if you wanna be a weightlifter, if you wanna be successful, but for questions like God, like you know that you're faking it, right? You, you pretend, is this like saying pretend like God exists and then Live? So I, I think this is actually where Lewis, with the issue of Christianity, he says that we have to acknowledge that there, so we, we, can, we can make a distinction. In some areas like virtue building and character formation building, it is something that we do, like on a, we, have, we have a kind of direct control over that, right? If I want to become an honest person, what do I do is I adopt the position of someone who is honest and I begin to refrain from telling lies, things like that. When it comes to issues of faith and belief there, Lewis says that God rewards even that little bit of faith and meets you the rest of the way. So I'm thinking of the the man in Mark 9 who his his son is demon-possessed and he says, Lord, help my unbelief, right? Right? There, he he acknowledges, I I don't like, I'm not sure you can do this thing, but I I want you to help the fact that I don't even have the, the faith that I need to, right? There's that little bit of faith. He's taking an act. He's he's saying, Jesus, come and help me. And then God meets him the rest of the way. So so God will meet that little bit of faith you have uh, for the person who goes, I'm not sure if Christianity is true, but I'm going to start maybe praying once, a, once before I go to bed. I'm going to start hanging out with Christians. And that little bit of faith right there. Uh, scripture talks about like everyone who who tries to come to me, I will by no means uh, push aside or, or cast away. So God rewards faith with faith, right? He 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 grows the faith that's there, and that that's sort of I think an extension of this principle that that Lewis is drawing about human nature. Well, it is, uh, and you talk about that was in Mark nine, mm-hmm. where the guy just says, you know, I believe, help my unbelief. Right. I love that prayer because you're right. It's it, it's sort of like if, if all of life is grace, it's yeah. unmerited gift from God mm-hmm. and salvation, especially the fact that you're sitting there going, huh, I wonder about Christianity. What do you, th- who do you think is doing that in your heart? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you're dependent on God for everything. So even those ideas of just like, maybe I should go to church or I don't really know. Even that pro- the beginning of that process, that little glimmer of curiosity mm-hmm. uh, is God working on someone's heart. And that's the point that Lewis makes. I mean, he, he basically says that uh, the real son of God is at your side. He is beginning to turn you into the same kind of thing as himself. He is beginning, so to speak, to inject his kind of life and thought, his zoe, it's the Greek word for life, Mm -hmm. into you, beginning to turn the tin soldier into a live man, referring back to his uh, prior tin soldier analogy. The part of you that doesn't like it is still the part that is still tin. So if you imagine Mm -hmm. yourself as a tin soldier and God wants to bring you to life, your process of struggling with faith, of going, is this real? Maybe I'll go to church Maybe I'll read C.S. Lewis. Maybe I'll talk to my Christian friend. Yeah. Is is parts of your tin soldierness becoming flesh? Yeah, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and I would encourage you if you're listening and you're wondering about faith, you don't have to figure it all out in one sitting. Yeah. Just little piece by little piece. It doesn't have to be fully formed, but just start to put yourself around Christian people and Christian communities and people who will entertain your questions and, and talk to you about these things and keep going. Yeah. Keep going. Because you might be that tin soldier that's slowly coming to life. And and sometimes there's a temptation to try to look for the way Christ helps you in an overly spiritual way. And yeah, so, so, so what you, you miss expect. Out. Yeah. Right, right. And and this is another thing that Lewis helps at, points out very helpfully. Um, he says, so basically he, he's responding to this idea of the, the person who says, well, like I've never seen Christ Help me, right? It seems like I've I've accrued all of these good things, my faith and my virtue and all this stuff. Um, And Lewis says, no, Uh, he works on us in all sorts of ways, not through what we think uh, our religious life is. He works through nature, through our own bodies, through books, through experiences that which seem at the time Mm anti-Christian through other people. So he talks about how other people are mirrors of Christ. And so we talked about just the joining of the church, being in fellowship there, other people are conduits of God's grace to you. So when you say, I'm not sure if Christianity is true and I'm going to hang out with Christians there, God can also use people to be conduits of grace to you, to show you things that you hadn't right. seen before, to to minister to you in ways that you didn't right. think you need maybe. Maybe you just needed that to experience loyalty and friendship and family and, and things like that. And, and those have a kind of... Um, heart right meltingness right experience and so you, you never know god god can use all of these seemingly non-spiritual aspects to bring you closer to to christianity well, community shapes our beliefs and absolutely and it that can be good or bad but yeah but we can't avoid it i mean mm-hmm. even people who isolate themselves you you often find that they are on internet forums or they have sure. you know, online clicks and groups and i think you know social activism that it creates a, a strong bonding communal thing like like we can't help but be affected by our social surroundings and mm-hmm. i think christianity is no different it doesn't mean that it's wrong it just right. means that that's how humans are wired right right and yeah like lewis says men are mirrors they carry christ to other men mm-hmm. and so sometimes we have to think about what are our expectations of spirituality we, we often have a very individualistic thing like no i've got to figure this out on my own in the woods somewhere right it's like, well, why do you think that <laughs> yeah why do you think that right uh, we have to challenge our assumptions about that. He does make an interesting point where he says, and I want to know what you think about this. He says, when a young man who has been going to church in a routine way honestly realizes that he does not believe in Christianity and yeah. stops going, mm-hmm. 
uh, provided he does it for honesty's sake and not just to annoy his parents. The spirit of Christ is probably nearer to him than it ever was before. Yeah, So sounds counterintuitive. Well, but. we talk about how, uh, you know, just because you don't feel it, you should keep doing it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you should be going to church and all that stuff. But he says that he might be closer by not going to church. Yeah. What I does mean, that mean? I initially thought that he meant something like a man who maybe his faith was not his own and it was sure. just a sort of cultural thing. Right. And he he gets into a moment maybe of existential panic and thinks, right. is this Christianity thing even real? And, you know, begins to maybe take a step back to assess, right? Right. And I can think of moments in my own life, I think, you know, lots of us can, can sympathize with this, but sure. where you realize, okay, I've been doing this thing for a long time. Is it really mine? Is it really true? And, you know, when you come back from that, your faith does tend to be stronger. You realize, oh yeah, like, yeah, it is true, right? Right. So when, when you can take those moments and step back and, and come back into it, it's sort of like a redoubling of your faith. And you come back with a renewed, you know, zeal and vigor and you go, okay, this is not just my parents' thing. This is not just my family's thing. This is a, you know, we, I, I sometimes think in evangelical circles, we put too much emphasis on the conversion moment, but these kinds of, you know, just stepping back and, and taking stock of self and motivations. And that could be super helpful, right? When you begin to think about like, okay, yeah, well, what, what does Christianity mean for me? What is, right. you know, it, it's not just my family. It's, do I really want to be part of this? Yeah. Yeah. That's what you thought he originally was saying? Or I that, think so. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I think it sounds like what it is too, where before it was just a routine, something to please his parents, but now right. the actual unsettling of it might be the, the work of the spirit actually. Sure. Mm -hmm. Forcing to a stronger, more mature faith. Working out your faith in fear and trembling. Well, I remember John Piper wrote, uh, this so This woman wrote him a letter and mm -hmm. said like, you know, when I first became a Christian, you know, I was, I was uh, full of life and zeal and I started dating this guy and, you know, maybe he wasn't a Christian or he's just kind of a weak Christian, uh -huh. and, but she just felt so happy and all that stuff. Then they broke up. And she went back to church and it wasn't the same. And she was just like, what happened to that joy I had yeah, in the yeah. Lord? And Piper's like, that wasn't joy in the Lord. Mm -hmm. That was this immature right. thing where you really like this guy and all that stuff. And, and now you're starting real Christianity. Yeah, mm -hmm. You didn't go from a high point of Christianity to a low point. You went from a superficial kind of Christianity yeah. to the real gritty thing. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe that's sure yeah something like that i think a little bit of that's true even in lewis's own life when he he writes the problem of pain which is a book about evil and suffering mm -hmm. and he's kind of distant and aloof from it and he gives sort of the standard apologetic arguments and and then his wife dies and he writes a grief observed and it's a totally different lewis it's it's no neat and tidy answers. It's really wrestling with suffering, but he, he never loses his faith, right? I, I genuinely believe that he he stayed a Christian through that time and he died a Christian, but there, uh, yeah, it was not just the the tropes. The, the arguments and the tropes weren't all that they were cut out to be, right? And so there, the faith was tested. And yeah, these kinds of moments. We should do a grief observe next. Oh man. How crazy would that be? That would be good. That would be good. That would fit in well with our Problem of Evil podcast and then this. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And that's what we do just for the sponsors. <laughs> it's like we talk about grief observe, like the heaviness of death and grief. And then like also buy new Ziploc bags that I don't even know. I don't even know why I said Sign up for Whole30. Zip, zip, zip it's recruiter. for all your Jolly Ranchers. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you want to talk about the... The mama and the babies? We can talk about that. That's yeah. a great analogy. Go for it. Uh, it seems like he's sketching out again Christian formation. Mm-hmm. 
right? He says, at he says, but do not forget this, right? <laughs> at first, it is natural for a baby to take its mother's milk without knowing its mother. It's equally natural for us to see the man who helps us without seeing Christ behind him. But we must not remain babies. We must go on to recognize the real giver. It is madness not to, because if we do not, we shall be relying on human beings, and that will let us down. So he's basically using this idea of like, you know, a baby is receiving milk, yeah. but he has no concept of the mother. Sure. It doesn't mean the mother doesn't exist, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but as you grow more mature, you can see beyond the thing you're receiving to the giver of it, hmm. right? So where the analogy would be, you know, we're sort of spiritually receiving all these things from God, right? right? But as we grow in maturity, we begin to see God behind all of these things. Hmm. So, you know, the mother is not invisible, right? Right. The child just doesn't have the capacity to see her beyond what he the, the milk, I guess. Yeah. In a sense. <laughs> right. Uh, but but that's that's an interesting way of thinking about God and how he acts in our lives. Right. That sometimes we don't attribute the good things. We don't see them as good things because we don't see God in them. Sort of. Or, or, or we. um. We attribute them to our own efforts or. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, or something like, yeah, I just imagine that basically I think maturity is able to trace the effects of God's goodness back to, back to God. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. A, it's a sort of a more of a conscious thing. Um, and I think that that's, you know, he talks about, uh, we begin to see that what it is in the New Testament is always talking about. It talks about Christians being born again. It talks about them putting on Christ, about be Christ being formed in us, about our coming to have the mind of Christ. Uh, and he says, basically, when we see these phrases, born again, putting on Christ, being formed in Christ, um, he says, it's not the same thing as like, you know, you read Plato or yeah, Marx yeah. and you just try to do what they say, mm -hmm. right? It's much more than that. It's certainly not less than that, but it's much more than that, Right. Christ is a living man. You know, Plato and Marx, they're dead. Mm -hmm. And you just have books written by them. Yeah. But Christ is alive now, today, forming us and changing us, right? And the living presence of Christ uh, is, is transformative to us. And uh, I think that that's really important where, you know, why is Christ not just a good teacher? Right. Because he's living, he ever lives to intercede mm -hmm. for us. He's, he's living with us. Right by the Spirit, He's next to us, sanctifying us, changing us, giving us wisdom. Right, like if, if you, if just just to take the analogy, if you were to put on a Plato or a Marx mask, that wouldn't like Plato and Marx wouldn't all of a sudden come alongside you and equip you to to grow into Platonic philosophy or Marxist philosophy. But with Christianity, that is. A massive difference that right. the person we're, we're not just putting on this mask and hoping that like abstract principles will change us. Right. There is a practical component of yes, just adopting the position will will help you grow into it. But also, Christ is actually living and moves in you to make you more Christ-like. So you've got the mask that you don and the position that you take, assume helps you just practically orient your life, but also. Christ is in you to supernaturally, through grace, make you like Christ. And can't go wrong. And th that's and to elaborate more on on his his mother and milk analogy. Yeah, and I, I think 
I'm trying to articulate it. And I, I think what he basically ends up saying is this. Milk is like when a, a, a man helps you, yeah. right? But when you grow more mature, you see that behind that man is is Christ himself helping you, hmm. right? Just like behind the milk is a mother feeding you. And that when we understand that Christ is a living Christ, that he works, again, to tie it all together, he works through people, yeah, right? Yeah. That's his living activity. It's, it's through his people. And it's through that that we're actually changed, right? And I think it also means that part of the hallmark of Christian maturity is not forsaking fellowship and not forsaking the body because you realize that that is the way that Christ right. shapes people. It's through the body. So you like becoming mature, becoming the kind of person who, yeah, I mean, it, 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 so I think I'm beginning to see the link now. Lewis is seeing maturity as people who don't think that all the good things they're getting from others are just as a result of those horizontal relationships. Right. But but it's directly God working through those. Right, and right. so that's why they're super important. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I think that's right. And then he talks about another way where, where your relationships will reveal your sin too. Hmm. Uh, he talks about how, you know, when you get caught off guard, right, what pops yeah. out before the man has time to put on disguise is the truth. Right. Right. If there are rats in a cellar, you are most likely to see them if you go in very suddenly. But the suddenness does not create the rats. It only prevents you from hiding. So, mm -hmm. so what he's saying is somebody catches you off guard. Somebody provokes you, triggers you, right? right? right. And then you snap at them. Um, that just reveals what was already in you, mm -hmm. right? When you go down to a dark cellar and rats scurry, you're going down did not create the rats. Right. You bursting in did not create the rats. What it did was reveal the rats that were there. Yeah, and give you an opportunity to expose them. Right, yeah. right. And so... He talks about how, you know, the rats in our cellar, that's basically our sin, right? I love that quote, though. The the rats of resentment and vindictiveness are yes. always there in the cellar yeah. of my soul. <laughs> yeah. Now he says, now that cellar is out of reach of my conscious will. I can to some extent control my acts, but I have no direct control over my temperament, right? Yep. And then he says that... Um, if indeed what we do matters chiefly as evidence of what we are, then it follows that the change which I most need to undergo is a change that my own direct voluntary efforts cannot bring about. Right. So in other words, your temperament is just sort of what's there. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think he's using temperament maybe kind of like desires or something like that. Hab I think he's like, like character. Right, your like character. Your right. habits. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And he says that that's really something that cannot... His motives, he says, I cannot by direct moral effort give myself new motives. You can't directly become a less irritable person, I think is what he's trying to say. Or, 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 or Right, you've got to you go know. to the source. Yes, or something right. To change you. And then, yeah. then he goes really to what conversion is. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a changing of the source of who you are. Yeah. Right? It's replacing the rats with fairies, I don't know, butterflies, mm. if you will. Right? But the whole point he's trying to say is this. After the first few steps in the Christian life, this is what he says, we realize that everything which really needs to be done in our souls can be done only by God. Right. In other words, God has to change our character. Mm -hmm. And out of our character flows a new will that changes our habits, that molds us further into our character. Yeah. Um, and I think that's an important way of thinking about the, the nature of conversion, right? So God doesn't just declare us sons like in the beginning. 
but he actually creates us a new capacity to act like what he has declared us to be. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's it's sort of like the St. Augustine, uh, Lord, uh, command what you will and will what you command. You love that quote. I love it because he's <laughs> just like, Lord, tell me what to do and then empower me to do what you've called me to do. Right. It almost it runs the risk of sounding almost like God zaps you with a virtue ray. And I think Lewis is trying not to say that. Right. That character does that we don't have direct control over our character and temperament. That's true. Right. But we have indirect control through that kind of pretending that he's been talking about. That we can we can begin putting ourselves in positions and places and contexts and, and scenarios where over the course of time, through sustained commitment with other people coming alongside us, the Holy Spirit working through us, God's grace enabling us and empowering us, we become that which we have donned initially, right? right. And then you go, am I doing that on my own efforts? Like, no, because no. those people who are molding you right. are Christ's yeah. work in your life, mm-hmm. right? And, and you deciding to get it at 6 a.m. to pray. Yeah. You can't take credit for it. That's the spirit of God working in you even to do that. Yeah. Like you're a tin soldier coming to life mm-hmm. and, but you're not making yourself come to life. Does that right. make sense? Right. Like the actions you're doing are evidence that God is working in you to bring you to life. Yeah. If, if maybe, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it, it makes sense in my head, but I think <laughs> Lewis uh, is, is so good at that. And I, I love what he says about, you know, how we're molded. Right. He says, um, uh, he says that as Christ, he says, Christ stands beside you to turn you into one, a little Christ. Right. I dare say this idea of a divine make believe sounds rather strange at first, but is it so strange? Really? Is not that how the higher thing always raises the lower? A mother teaches her baby to talk by talking to it as if it understood long Mm -hmm. before it really does. Yeah. I don't get this next part. We treat our dogs as if they were almost human. That's why they really become almost human in the end. I don't know. understand that. But the, the, <laughs> the mother teaches your baby to talk, right? It's, it's like a mom. How does a baby learn language? Yeah. The mom doesn't wait for him <clears> to learn <throat> English so she can communicate. She communicates to him so that he learns English. Right, right. Right? She says, what do you want? Use your words. Mm-hmm. It's not like he's looking up the dictionary. What are the words I'm supposed to use? Yeah, yeah. It's these babies are learning language by having it spoken to them. Right. And that's how God works on us. We hear the word of God spoken out loud. Even as kids, we're catechized in it, or mm-hmm. we hear the scripture read as kids, and we may not understand it. Yeah. But we learn to understand it by hearing it. Sometimes we think we have to, you know, understand it in order to hear it or something like that. But but and I think that's sort of the thing where if you read scripture to kids and they're listening to it, are they faking it? Yeah. If you talk to your kid, <laughs> use your words, are they faking it when right. they respond? No. Mm-hmm. They're learning, they're being molded, they're being discipled by the action of hearing their mother speak. It really leaves no room for individualism because it's it's not it's not about no one can learn a language on their own, to use the, the analogy. And so too, no one can become virtuous, no one can become like Christ on their own. It's impossible. If you were on an island by yourself, Maybe not impossible, but Lewis would say it's at least really, really, really improbable because the vehicles through which God transforms people typically is the church. And and for that, you need other people. So in the same way that you need a mother to begin speaking English or French or Chinese to her baby so that the baby can adopt that language, you also need the preaching of the word, the sacraments, and the fellowship of believers around you to make you like 
Christ. And it's not, and it's not competitive. It's not, uh, is it my efforts versus God's efforts? God is, all of this is through Christ and all of it is grace. So it's not, it's not anything that we can take any moral credit for, uh, but it, it, it really does. You can see Lewis just closing the door on any kind of individualism. Well, think about the, how, how the best way to learn language is what? Duolingo. Right. <laughs> is to immerse yourself in it. Yeah. Right. To go to the country and mm-hmm. go to the coffee shops, try to order food. Right. It's just to apply it, apply it, or to listen to music. You know, I mean, and, and that, that's how you're discipled into a language. Yeah. And suddenly you start to think in that language. Mm-hmm. I think Christianity is a lot of the same way. The, the, the words in the songs, preaching, being in Christian community, being part of a Christian culture. Yeah. You learn how to be Christian. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's not a bad thing. That's no. just how we're wired to be. Absolutely. And you're always going to be discipled by some culture. Right. right? You, we're not the radical individuals we think we are. Ooh, that's good. I should read my hot take. <laughs> but Lewis has great stuff. Yeah, amazing. You know, I mean, went through so much. I mean, basically talking about how, you know, how does God work in us? Mm-hmm. Well, he works in us through people. Right. Right. And he works in us by forming us in the same way a mother teaches a child their language by right. speaking to us. Mm-hmm. So sometimes there is a quote unquote fake it till you make it. Right. Except <clears throat> we're not faking it. We really are sons of God, but we need to act like it. Right. We act like what God calls us. And in doing that, we become what he calls us. Mm-hmm. That act, the actual pursuing of godliness is how God changes and makes us godly. But that's not our own efforts. The only way we can even do that pursuit. Is by the grace of God. That's going to be your Christian bestseller. Become what you're called. Yeah. <laughs> Copyright. Trademark. Yeah. <laughs> all that stuff. FM radio. I'm going to outsell Joel Osteen. Joel Osteen's kind of like, if you feel sad, friend, you could feel happy. God wants you to feel happy. Did you know that? It's like Joel Osteen meets Mr. Rogers. <laughs> Presbyterian was, ordained Mr. He, Rogers. He is Presbyterian and he was ordained and he was Mr. Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, neighbor. <laughs> I want to baptize you, baby. That's <laughs> <laughs> like a Matthew McConaughey, Roger. Hi, uh, Mr. Rogers. And uh, sounds like we need to baptize your baby, the children of the covenant. Is he a Christian? Who, McConaughey? He is, right? Yeah, he says he is. I mean, I hope he is. Oh, hmm. that'd, be, that'd, be, that'd be one. Then he could be actually awesome do the, the Matthew McConaughey audio Bible oh, you that you've been dreaming of. In the beginning <clears> was God. <throat> and God created the heavens and the earth. You mentioned him doing Song of Solomon. No, no, don't do it. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Good, 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 good call. Thank you guys for listening to our podcast. We are signing off before it gets too weird. And uh, join us next week as we continue on in mere Christianity. So make sure you share this with your friends and leave us a nice review. Catch you guys next week.